Open our eyes, Lord, for we want to see Jesus in all his glory. Open our ears, Lord, that we may hear your word for us tonight. And open my mouth, Lord, that I may speak your truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are some television programs that my wife likes to watch on the television, which don't really interest me very much. I'd far rather listen to some music or turn it on to something else, but uh, I'm sure there are some people here who enjoy MasterChef, The Great British Bake Off, <laughs> and uh, there are, there's another one which I'm just about to, uh, to tell you about, and it's not because I'm not into cooking, I actually enjoy cooking, uh, but I don't like all the build-up, all the suspense when they're about to eliminate someone. It's like the X factor. Perhaps it's the broadcaster in me that can see how they're getting people on the edge of their seats, and that makes me want to say, I know what you're doing, and I'm not going along with it. <laughs> and, uh, but there are these programs can be quite interesting, and there's one uh, that my wife uh, occasionally puts on which is called Come Dine With Me. Now, it's on Channel 4. Now, some of you will know all about it. Um, uh, they invite five complete strangers to take turns in hosting uh, what could they consider to be the ultimate dinner party. And the guests give points to each amateur chef, except to themselves, of course, and at the end, the one that wins the most points goes away with a £1,000 cash prize. And there's no end to what the contestants will do to try to win. And the whole encounter is commentated by a comedian who actually makes comments all the way along about their cooking and about the way they go about things. Now, I have to say, I do find it a little bit contrived uh, because... You can tell that they've invited people who are probably not going to get on with one another uh, in the way that they put the lineup. I was talking to Gordon. He was saying he knew of a minister who had actually been part of a lineup, and you can imagine who they put the minister with, but I won't go into details. You can ask Gordon afterwards. But it's very clever the way that they put the piece of entertainment together. People are dining with people that they wouldn't usually dine with and there is some truth to the fact that actually it's the opposite to what normally happens normally a dinner party you invite your friends to come people that you connect with or people that you want to get to know better and it's not so easy for us to invite people who we might not find to be such easy company well, let me come back to that in a moment. Who'd be a traffic warden? Um, abuse and aggravation day after day. You've only got to see what happens around this building during the day. The traffic wardens dealing with uh, people who have parked where they shouldn't have parked and the arguments that go on. It must be quite a thankless task. I don't know if we've got any traffic wardens in this evening, but I often admire uh, their patience. It's a difficult job to do. And imagine if you were a traffic warden who was working for a government that you hated as well. 
So you're taking all this abuse, but you actually don't actually agree with what you're having to do. Well, in our, uh, old, our gospel lesson, we have something of what was going on at that time. People were being fined for years for being able to do something that they used to be able to do for free. Imagine if you were able to park somewhere for years and years and years, and then suddenly you had to pay for it. If you were a local, you would object to it. I got caught once at a hospital. I used to park there. I had my little spot. It was always free. Whenever I went, it was hidden around the back of a, a hospital in Harlow, and I knew exactly where I could park. Nobody else was able to park, and I parked there for years. And on autopilot one day, I parked my car in the space, not realizing there was a small sign that had gone up saying that now it was residents only. And I hadn't, I was on autopilot and I got fined. And I wasn't very happy because I'd done it for a long time. And I felt fed up with myself for not noticing. Well, here in this passage, we have a situation where people were being charged a tax for something that they'd been able to do freely for a long time if we can imagine uh, Levi in the story had become very unpopular he was the son of Alpheus he was in Capernaum and he was probably working for Herod Antipas the son of Herod the Great now I just need to give you a little bit of history here Herod's brother Philip inherited what we call the Golan Heights which extended up to Syria but Herod Antipas had inherited the northern part of his father's kingdom, and that was Galilee, which was where one, one of the road centers of ancient Europe. And so what would happen, in effect, Palestine was a road bridge between Europe and Africa. That's where people used to pass through. And the last town that you'd go through when you were traveling from east from the east was Antipas uh, in the land uh, into where Philip uh, had the territory. Or if you'd come into, when you were coming from Galilee, was Capernaum. So you had these two sort of areas that were kind of uh, the places you would pass through. And when they entered or, or left, travelers would have to pay a toll for the privilege of using that piece of land. The trouble was, many of the locals can remember the time when you could make that journey for free. You didn't have to pay any taxes for it. So Levi was very unpopular because he was having to charge people who didn't want to pay a tax for using that piece of land. And as the Romans were backing this tax, most ordinary Jews disliked and resented all tax collectors because they didn't want to give the taxes to Rome. And any Jews who worked for Rome were looked on as traitors both to God but also to Israel as well. So poor Levi was very unpopular. We don't know he was a dishonest man. We do know that many tax collectors were dishonest, though. Uh, they would sometimes charge a little bit more, perhaps, than they should have done when they were doing their job. But all we know was Levi was a tax collector and he was unpopular and he was considered a sinner whether or not he charged the wrong amounts or perhaps just because he was working 
for Rome rather uh, than for a, a, a Jewish um, job. So Jesus comes into this scene, this unpopular character, and he turns the tables over. Now, I'm not talking about the, the tables of the temple. He turns the tables of the situation. The doors were beginning to be closed to Jesus uh, when he was in the synagogues. He'd been preaching there, but now he was becoming unpopular with the uh, religious leaders. So he takes to the open air to preach and to heal, and he comes by the Sea of Galilee too. And it's interesting that the doors of God's house were actually closing to him. In other words, the opportunity to reach the people who were godly and he was out in the open air. He was amongst the people. And he calls people to follow him. And he doesn't shout or grumble about the situation. He simply says to people, follow me. It's very interesting. I know we obviously have a shorthand of the situation. But the natural thing to follow that with is, where are we going? <laughs> But that's never seemed to be the case. Jesus had an authority. People had picked up on his teaching. And when he said, follow me, people seemed to be able to drop everything and to follow him. And maybe it was because of what he'd said in his teaching or his very presence alongside people who others steered clear of. So the key call of Levi shocked the official religious leaders. For what rabbi would want a tax collector as a disciple? Jesus had started even more rumblings about him. Just think he'd been healing a paralytic. He called Matthew Levi. And then the disciples are not fasting as they should. And he heals on the Sabbath. So he was really upsetting the religious leaders. And the mumbling seems to be very, very evident as he associates himself with the outcasts of society. And yet he says to the outcasts, follow me. Now Levi had been working for Herod Antipas, who thought of himself as being the king of the Jews. And soon Levi was to be following the person who was the true Messiah, the true King of the Jews. And he didn't delay. He gave up everything. And he burned his bridges when he did that. Because when he stopped doing his job as a tax collector, there was no going back. If he left everything, he really did leave everything. In fact, people will probably uh, be after him and wanting him to return. And others would not have understood that he'd really changed. And he got the new name, Matthew, which means gift of God. And when it says he got up and followed Jesus, the word is he arose. Uh, it's the same word that's used for resurrection. His life began. There was new life at that moment. And enthusiastically, what does he do when he's given this new life? He invites his friends, other sinners, perhaps people who were also outcasts under the Jewish law, to come and dine 
with Jesus. And Jesus was criticized for spending time with them. Now, I wonder what we think of this situation and whether we can really feel the, the sharpness of it. John Wesley said, don't go to those who need you, but to those who need you most. And yet Jesus was being criticized because he didn't choose his friends carefully. But I think he did choose his friends very carefully. He wanted to actually be with people. They wanted him to be a separatist. In other words, to be separate from those who were the outcasts and the sinners. But Jesus did not want to separate himself from the others. He wanted to be in the midst of them. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't want to be a separatist. And we have this powerful symbol of the table. The disciples gathered around with the sinners and Jesus there. Come dine with me, Jesus says. Let me go back to that story at the beginning, that program, where you get people who would not normally gather together around a table. Why it makes good entertainment is because it's not normally what happens. I wonder whether the sharp challenge to us today is, who do we spend our time with? Do we spend time with people who are different from us or who might need us very much? Or do we spend our time only with our friends and those who we find it easy to get along with? I remember uh, a friend of mine saying uh, uh, he was impressed with something that my wife and I had done. I don't tell it that because I want you to be impressed, but we had... Uh, got together a group of friends for a, a party, and many of those people who were at the party didn't go to church. And the reason was is that I was advised very early on in my ministry not to spend your life always with Christians, but actually get involved in something in your community that has nothing to do with the church. Otherwise, you'll never have the chance to actually build relationships with people who you should be building relationships with. And that person said to me at the end of the function that we had, I feel really challenged as a minister that I actually can't number many people who are my friends who are not Christians. Now, many of you will have lots of people who are non-Christian friends or will know people who are actually perhaps on the edge of society for some reason. Maybe somebody who's served time in prison. Maybe somebody who is extremely lonely. Maybe somebody who has done something wrong or has relationship has broken down. There are many churches where perhaps a marriage within a church has broken down and actually the people within it don't know who to turn to anymore. My challenge to you tonight is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and said, come dine with me. And they invited him to dine with them. And he was criticized for it. 
I hope and pray that there will be some Christians that might criticize you at some time for spending time with people of dubious company. Because I believe that's the cutting edge of our faith, to be with those who really need us. Very interesting, isn't it? He says it's the doctor, not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. If my doctor never went near unhealthy people, I wonder whether he was a very good doctor at all, if he was worried about being contaminated and never ever went near somebody who was unwell. There's something not right there. And I believe we have Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, who offers new life to people and healing and love. And we're the ones that can embody that. So my challenge is perhaps the next time you think about a dinner party or perhaps inviting someone to your home, who will you ask to come and dine with you?